UK Motor Talk. Hello, and uh, well, you're joining us on what is possibly the sweatiest day of the year so far. It's it's hot. Uh, we are in uh, inside Jim's sweat box. Um, make so that what you will. And, well, I've, and I've been forced to turn the air conditioning off. It was lovely and nice cool in here ten minutes ago, but but apparently it just creates an irritating noise, which will just apart from the irritating noise I normally produce, but an irritating noise in the background um, that. Uh, that means it's really irritating on the recording, and also the left-hand side of me goes completely numb because it's it's cold. I'm comfortably numb, and not just us actually today, because we are joined by Phil. Hello. 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 Well, welcome to another edition of UK Motor Talk. That's talking that's about all, that's garbage. All, that's awfully <laughs> professional. Well, that started off professionally, but that's uh, yeah. slightly more professional than we're used to. You, you know, we just talk about things, and uh, unquestionably, if you you listen to us to go to sleep, then you're in for a treat. Uh, otherwise, uh, we've got many things to talk about, actually, because we've not really met up for a long time. Because no, but being a bit busy, really. We, you've had a thing in your life, haven't you? I, I have. I, I've, I have had, I say I've had a baby. That's, that's not necessarily technically true. Mrs G has had a baby. You were there when it happened. You, you I, contributed to the overall process. I, I was there. Start to finish. Y- yes, exactly. Hopefully. Yes, from conception to birth. Well, Michael's just starting on his journey, and I've just had news that I'm going to have my fourth great-grandchild. Great-grandchild? Yes. That makes really? Christmas this year. How old are you? I'm 62 this year. Well, that's not bad. You've got more hair than I am, so <laughs> I will be 62 in November, but I've got, I will have four great-grandchildren by the beginning of next year. See, grandkids and great-grandkids, I, I always think they're all right, because you get them for the day, half a day, whatever it is. Yeah. Take them wherever they like, do whatever they like, and then wind give them up like watch springs, fill them up full of E-numbers and then give them back to the parents and that's it. And they go, but great-granddad lets us do that, but great-granddad lets us do this and the parents will be thoroughly wound up with it. But hey, you had to put up with the kids so at least you get a bit of payback, don't you? Yeah, we've had three great-grandchildren well, three grandchildren and two great-grandchildren over the weekend, so... Well, busy, I spent busy most of upstairs watching motorsport. So, oh, that's all right. Well, there that was, was a bit on. There was a bit on at the weekend, wasn't there? Yeah, British touring cars. See, well, I missed the. I've got the touring cars recorded, so I need to watch that when I get home tonight, or um, or when I get home tomorrow night. One I won't. Two. I won't spoil it for you then. <laughs> I think, yeah, somebody well, wins. <laughs> I'm sure it looked uh, action packed as always, and I think I did see a few. Um, notifications and things about penalties afterwards and post-race yes. penalties so I, d- I did think it was actually <clears throat> Formula 1 at one point with post-race penalties and five second penalties for this that and the other but at least we didn't get any post-race penalties that affected the result at, uh, at Austria at the weekend so I think after the snooze fest that was Paul Ricard mm. actually Austria was, was exactly what Formula 1 needed I think wasn't it and that was, that was spot on hard racing but yeah, I think if they if they had penalised Max for his coming together with Leclerc on the last lap, um, I think Formula One would have been dead in the water. It, yeah, it would have been suicide after after a race like that with all that overtaking, battling, etc. Uh, yeah, you're quite right. The, the the outcry, well, the fact that I think all the Dutch fans would have hung around and then. Just mobbed somebody. the circuit, yeah. Just set fire to the place. I must admit, I'm slightly more of a Leclerc fan than I am a Verstappen fan. But actually, towards the end, part of me did want Max to win that. But much as I want to see Charles win his first Grand Prix, and it, he'll no doubt win many more. I must admit, Charles has come in, race. and he's 
made um, Sebastian Vettel look a bit stupid this year. I think Sebastian does a reasonably good job of that on his own, to be fair. <laughs> With the uh, fantastic, right, you know, you don't win four world championships by accident, but... It, it's just a string of errors one after the other with uh, with Sebastian, isn't it? I mean, the, all, all of the arguments over the penalty, should it shouldn't have been a penalty after Canada, they all kind of gloss over the fact that he made yet another mistake. He went off the track under pressure from Lewis yet again. It was another mistake. It was only because the, the wall was on the outside of the corner rather than on the inside of the corner, that he didn't smack into the wall. If, if that chicane had been running in reverse, let's say, or that was Monaco, or a corner with a gravel trap as opposed to a, a reasonably firm grass runoff area, he'd have been in the wall, in the gravel trap, off and out, and that would have been it. He, he just keeps making the mistakes under pressure. Um, whereas Charles drove a, you know, a brilliant, well, almost perfect race in, in Austria. I'm not sure the strategy was the best, bringing him a bit early for no. the Sols. I think they were kind of reacting they to They have Bottas. made a lot of strategy errors this this season where they could have won something and they didn't. Mm. Um, not bringing people in when they should have done. Not changing tyres or not having the right tyres ready. They didn't even have Sebastian's tyres ready when he came in the pitch. No, they, he came in, they had two two or three ready and that's it. Yeah, he pitched yeah. up and that's, that's not the first time it's happened with Ferrari, is it? And Okay, all, all the teams make mistakes but it's almost that... Uh, I think it's almost the mentality that Ferrari have almost got out of the habit of winning for so long that when they do have an opportunity to win, they almost don't know what to do with it or they're still in that mindset of we're the second or third best car or team or driver on the day, so we, we react accordingly rather than, like Red Bull, taking the opportunity as it gets dropped in their lap because if Red Bull... Um, and probably down to the drivers as well, Max or last year, Ricardo. if they have an opportunity to win, they grab it and they win, and they can react to it very quickly. Whereas Ferrari, OK, that's the plan. If anything varies, that's when they seem to come unstuck. I think yesterday they brought Max in, and they did a 1.8-second pit stop, which is incredible. That's what Christian Horner said it was. Yeah, I think the official time was, was two and a plip. I think Williams officially won it again. Um, as they seem to have done quite a bit, yeah, one point eight is it's absolutely insane the uh, the pace of them. But no, it was it was a great race overall. The the move though for the for the lead. I mean, according to the letter of the law, and I think actually we've got two debates here. The the penalty in Canada, the arguments actually not was it or wasn't it a penalty because the rules say. If you rejoin the track, you must do so safely, you must not gain advantage from it, and you must not crowd another driver out of off the circuit. So according to the letter of the law, yes, it was a penalty. There's no question over whether it was or wasn't a penalty for Sebastian. It was, because he broke the rules. The question, I think, more should be, what should the rules be? And What else could he have done? Who, Sebastian? Uh, Momentum was taking him exactly where that was going. Uh, backed off, he should have let him through. Well, those should have gone straight in the back of him. I think no, he should have backed uh, off at the, at the following corner. The yeah, right, he, okay. he should have backed him off because, and God rest him, Charlie would have been straight on the radio and said, <laughs> "I'm going to do you for that." Let him through, and he would have then at least had yeah. half a lap, a lap, or whatever it was to to get back. He would through. have got back past Lewis on the back straight anyway because they had the speed. Yeah, the, the, so. the DRS on the back straight, and there was there was a part of me was thinking with. Um, with Leclerc, let him go at the beginning of the lap, 
and get him back later on in the lap. So almost almost let him through at the first corner and make sure that you're just within a second at the DRS yeah. detection point and you'll get him back into the hairpin. Um, but no, I mean, right, right, right on the limit of, of what the rules allow. Technically, Max was ahead. I mean, six one half a dozen of the other. Max didn't leave him any room on the edge, but similarly, Charles could have backed out and ducked underneath him. But it, it kind of goes back to the, the Rosberg-Hamilton incident from a couple of years ago, where Rosberg just didn't turn into the same corner, and everybody was outraged at that. But actually, well, that old-fashioned racing or touring car racing or kart racing or whatever it is, if you're on the inside, you decide when to turn in. That's it. The guy on the outside can't turn in because he'll hit you. So if you just run him right out wide, turn in at the last minute to stop him getting the switch back, that's that's racing. That's that's what it is and that's what you do. So I do, I do think they need a shake-up. I would say it's, it's almost an impossible task, but you almost need to replace Charlie with one single driver steward, somebody with experience and race I can't craft see the relevance in changing the, drive, changing the driver steward from each race. Well, well I think need... it's, the, it's the commitment, to be honest. If there was a job for full-time driver steward, I'd, I'd certainly apply, but I think getting somebody to commit to that amount of time is, is tricky, but it's, yeah, they just need to, to dial down on the penalties and kind of let them race and if and as long as those are the rules and everybody knows where they stand you know but then having said that touring cars this year we've had a few oh if you bump into them and I think Matt Neal got um got away with something and then chilled and got penalized for the same thing at Brands didn't he so yeah. it's the application and the consistency that people are after as long as you know where the rules are then they've then had you're a, okay. they've had a few well they had a few penalties yesterday and a few big shunts which probably could have been avoided, but uh, in the last race they did have a penalty after the race, which put um, the the winner on the road back twenty seconds, so he was outside the top ten. So, mm. and it's that, I think it's that deciding the race results yeah, after. Yeah, Jake, or, Hill, Jake Hill was winning, and he just tapped the back of Matt Neal and spun him and Matt Neal lit up, lit up the tyres and there was just a cloud of smoke. Nobody knew where anybody was piling in. It could have been so much worse than it was. Mm. But uh, they penalised Jake Hill. And Let's Matt Neal it. had a go at him in the Park Ferme area with some fairly blue language. Yeah, but Matt Neal's never traded paint or mirrors or roll cages with anyone ever. Well, that's the point, isn't it? But really that's is. the point of touring He was the racing, king isn't it? Sure. of... The little yeah. rubbing is yeah. racing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think it's a little uncalled for for Matt Neal to to be too upset about that, really, considering past performance. But there you go. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a lot. All the way through, drivers get a reputation for being. I mean, Senna. Everybody, you know, the mysticism and the the reverence that Senna's held in. He was always the ultimate for. I'm going to put my car here, like Rosberg did at the hairpin in Austria, like Max did. I'm going to put my car here. It's up to you whether we have an accident or not. Because the Leclerc could have avoided that crash by waiting, turning him behind him, straightening up early and, and trying to get him back on into the next corner. Uh, Lewis chose to have the accident with Rosberg by turning in. He could have virtually stopped, but slowed right down and waited for him to go. So it's that, I'll, I'll put my car here. If you turn in, we're having a crash. So the answer is the other driver doesn't turn in, and you don't crash. And that's 
that's hard racing, but it's fair racing, and it's it, it's part of racecraft. It's you know, if you're coming up to a chicane, you take the the long way round for the first bit, and then you've got the inside line for the next bit, and that's that's the way you do it. Otherwise, well, we might as well just do rallying or you know time trials everybody sets off 10 seconds apart and you measure the gaps at the end of it and if you've managed to make up a bit of time then you win but there's there's no fun in that is there so no mm. i think all we can take away from the weekend is actually austria was exciting it was action-packed there was overtaking so it, it just shows that formula one has got all the right ingredients to be a thrilling motorsport but the circuits need to be correct and the conditions need to be correct so i think the tires need to be less of a factor than they are at the moment you know you have a car that qualifies fifth with the Haas and it's running around slower than the Williams which are firmly rooted to the back of the grid just because of the tyres it's it's a little bit odd the tyres need to be simplified have a much broader range and then dead easy turn up with a really sticky soft qualifying tyre a medium and a rock hard and the teams can do what they like you want to run the entire race on the hard tyre, make it last the whole race, that's fine, get on with it. A couple of stops on the soft, or if you get punted off and you've got to go absolutely back crap crazy, flat out, stick the qualifying tyres back on. Yeah, Schumacher, Austria in, in the early 2000s, I think, you know, it was a, what was it, a four-stop strategy, um, and something similar in that, that era as well at, at France, wasn't it? He had a four-stop a four strategy, and he had to do you know, Ross Braun got on the radio, right, qualifying laps, please, Michael. How many? All of them. Okay. But it was fantastic to watch, but you didn't know until the end where he was going to end up. And the, the different strategies that we had at Austria, you knew everybody would end up at the start-finish line at roughly the same time at the end of 70-odd laps, but you didn't know who was going to get there first, and it was fantastic. So broader ties, and I think that'll, uh, that'll help Formula One a lot. I just want to come back to Ricard a second because your phone did something brilliant. It was talking about uh, how far away you were from the circuit. Bearing in mind we are in southern England presently. Uh, oh yes, thanks, thanks to the, uh, the genius that is Apple Maps. Yes, yeah, which actually found us a mile away from the pub that we were trying to find the other day, which was disappointing. But yeah, that didn't work very well. Didn't. Did it? But it did say you were 14 minutes away from the circuit. Uh, yeah, yeah, about 15, 15 minutes before, 15, 20 minutes before the start of the French Grand Prix. It said, leave now to get to Circuit Paul Ricard just off the Little Hampton Road. <laughs> I, I was nearly quite tempted, to be honest. I thought, if I'm only 15 minutes away, I'll, I'll have a drive down yeah, and I'm see how that, I get on. Yes. It's worth it just for the noise. I think so. But, yeah, it was worth it more for the noise in, in the good old days of Formula 1, let's be honest. But I, it's, they're still mighty impressive to, to hear go past. Oh, they're phenomenal. But then there's, the, there's that balance between how stunning they look in real life and how good they look on TV and actually it doesn't matter as much how they look in real life good because they don't look very nice at all they need to look better on TV than they currently do well yeah Formula 1 cars aren't that pretty I'm going to throw that out there no but just the, the speed and the drama but then you know the first lap of the race they were doing I mean qualifying was what a 102 something so not far off a one minute lap at Austria but the the fastest race lap was what a 107.8 and you, you can't say that watching Verstappen break out the fastest lap hunting down Charles. You, nobody was sat there thinking, oh, he's five seconds off the page from qualifying. This looks slow and boring. So five seconds a lap, mm. even on a one-minute lap, doesn't matter. They, they could be 10% slower than they are now. They'd still be phenomenal. It's, it's how the car reacts and how it looks that matters. They are a tool that's built for a purpose. Exactly. Yeah. 
Another part of the problem with modern cars is because they have a limited engine supply, limited units they're allowed to use, they keep getting all these penalties which put them further back on the grid than where they qualified. Then they've got to overuse the bits that they've had to fit to try and get back to where they were when they qualified and it just destroys the racing. But then you have, I, th I think the person that does the math at the FIA is the same person that does the math at Ford Motor Company because you have uh, somebody who lines up third on the grid, they have a five place penalty and they start fifth. Well, hang on, three plus five, surely that's not, but when they apply a penalty, they, they leave an empty gap so they almost drop somebody into the gap and then move everybody and then shuffle up all of the blank spaces. So it's, it's a bit odd. I don't know why they don't just apply the penalties in the order they happen and just keep shuffling and, and get rid of all, you know, a penalty should be a penalty, whereas if you have your penalty first. So that's why you have teams rushing out at the start of free practice one and then doing what they need to take the penalty so that they had their penalty first. So you can have a driver who has a five-place penalty starting higher up than he qualified, even though he's already had a five-place penalty. It's, it's really bizarre. Whilst you mentioned Ford there, I think it's time to talk about what on earth's going on with Ford Motor Company in the UK. They're in trouble. Uh, you kind of wonder, don't you? Because actually, we've said before, you know, that there's a lot going on for Ford. Um, they've basically shut down their head office at Warley shifted everything into the back rooms at Dunton, where there's a lot of space. But It, it so, does kind of make sense. That makes why, sense. Why have two, yeah. two houses that are half full when everybody could live in one house and, and you just run one house? That's the noise. It wasn't us. Just want to, there wasn't an open the window, Gary. That, 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 that a was a motorbike. Um, Ford have closed, or are closing, should we say, they haven't closed it yet, the engine plants up in Bridge End in Wales, which is pretty much the biggest, well, it is the biggest employer, isn't it, in that mm. part of, of the world? Oh, it's not just the, the, the factory or the plant itself, it's all the knock-on yeah, suppliers yeah. and the infrastructure, etc. Yeah, all, all of that, even the the number of postmen that it might need to deliver all the post, all the parts, yeah, or the, the local delivery drivers that are kept in, in employment by delivering parts to them all that's going to disappear. So the, the knock-on effect is huge, not to mention the uh, the effect it's had on their reputation, their standing in the UK. Whatever you flick through any of Ford's posts on social media, a good chunk is um, is related to, to closing the plants and why yeah. should I buy a Ford car bearing in mind you're walking away from the it's UK? It's the Dyson effect, isn't it? When it Dyson is. moved out of the UK, and, uh, and it's difficult, really. It's, you've got to feel for the guys up there. But actually, if you think about what they were doing, they were building diesel engines. No one wants them. They were building diesel engines for Land Rover. No one wants those either. Um, they were talking about building a millionaire's folly, you could almost argue, at, uh, at Bridgen. Well, no one really is going to buy that because, well, a few people will, and it might be fantastic, but it's not exactly mass production. You're not going to need thousands and thousands of people to do it. But it's the age-old story of, yes, that, that model worked... 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, yeah. but it doesn't work today. It's how quickly you can react to the yeah. changes and, and things. You know, prime example, during the war, okay, if it was a factory capable of building anything, it was immediately repurposed into building guns, tanks, bombs, whatever it was. You're right. Yeah. Munitions to, to support the war effort, and it had to happen now. That, that's it. As of tomorrow, you need to start pumping out however many rounds a day because we need them and there's no excuse to get on with it. But so why can't we have that today? Why couldn't they repurpose that factory into building 
petrol engines, turbo engines, hybrid well, engines. Well, I don't think you can. Um, and I, I think people have said, why don't they just use to build electric cars? And I think that's probably a little bit naive, to be honest, because actually it's a totally different thing, isn't it? It's, com- it's a completely different... You might as well be going from making flat pack furniture to making an engine. They're, they're two totally different things. Yes, they propel a car, or they might be the drivetrain for the car, but everything needs retooling. You need all new robots. You need a skilled set of engineers to create something. And petrol, diesel engines, are they similar? Yes, probably. But actually, if you're going to pick up tariffs, shifting stuff in and out of the UK anyway, because we still don't know really what's going on, and we're not going to start talking about that. We're get, let's leave that behind. Um, actually, would you, would you bother? Would you just shut it down? I think you've got to look at the bigger picture. They're looking at a worldwide thing rather than just what's going on in this country. They're looking at the States, Europe, the Far East, wherever. They've got to cut their cloth to where they need it, really. Mm. And if, they, if they've got a, an engine plant that's producing diesel engines, diesel engines, as you say, are a thing of the past, although yeah. there's still cars that need them. Mm. Um, they're going to need still replacement sensible. engines and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, they can probably still make those somewhere else, mm. or they probably are making them somewhere else, because I can't see that Bridge End supplies the entire world. Oh, no, not at all. With diesel engines. But I, I, I must say, on, on the one hand, I can't say I blame Ford, because, as you mentioned, they're about tariffs. If, if you don't know what the situation's going to be next year, it's, it's no different to buying a house or you know, going for a job interview. If you go for a job interview at a company, it's like, okay, so what are the company's long-term plans? Uh, don't know, really. Might, might go bust, not really quite sure. You, Excellent. You'll, you'll yeah. think twice <laughs> about working there, you know. Um, you ask your other half to marry you, and she says, oh, yeah, 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 I'd, I'd like to marry you for now. Next year, might meet somebody else. You never know, but, yeah, for now, you'll do. You you think twice about marrying her. That that uncertainty for the future means you can't commit. And actually, I think all of the uh, the cocking about with Brexit has led to that uncertainty. So, actually, on the one hand, you did I it. You mentioned it. Yeah. Well, you said don't, but you did. Uh, I think I'm fairly certain you started it. But if um, uh. no, if that if you don't know what the market's going to be or what the the conditions are going to be, then yeah, you you can't commit to it. Quite right. So, actually, I don't blame. But going back to what you said about Europe. Uh, America, the world, there is that that hierarchy, that chain, Ford of America, Ford of Europe, Ford of Britain, and like you say, cutting cloth, everybody all the way through will have been told to save money, cut this out, reduce your headcount, even if it's only by half a person or amalgamating job roles, that, that, that mandate will be travelling all the way down through the company, but further up, they yeah, they'll have looked at it on paper and said, well, how much does it cost us? What does it make us? That's costing us money. Close it. Simple as that. And why? Why would you flog a dead horse? It, it doesn't. It make won't sense be just to. forward either. It'll be. Oh no. Every every sort of manufacturing all over the world is trying to cut back. I think the problem is we see Ford Motor Company as in some way British, really. Because you think about the Escort and the Cortina. Well, the rest I think of they're British. I've no idea why. But well, yeah, they're an American company. Hmm. Actually, they make cars over here. And you say about cutting their cloth. What do we think about the fact? that they have created a Puma, which is an SUV. Because everything, of course, these days, mm. has to be an SUV. If you buy something French, it's an SUV, which is basically, I'm going to describe them as a demi-car. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not quite the full thing. Um, it looks a bit puma at the front. Actually, it's, it looks quite good for that kind of thing. See, actually, yeah, I, I, well, we're big fans of the Puma, as you know. And, and The original one, this is. Yeah, the original Puma. Yeah. 
that that Crashing was a brilliant car. Mm. The new Puma. Go and buy one. Looks cheap. fantastic. Apart from the fact it's called a Puma. It's like Ford making noises about their Mustang-inspired all-electric SUV. Originally the Mark One, now the Mark E. And and it just the the two or the the three descriptions there, SUV, all electric, and Mustang, they just don't go together. No. It's why why try and you know get we understand the the need for a, a halo product and something that sits at the top of the range, not necessarily to make money, but just to make the company look good. Yes. But why? But I mean, having said that, I think the latest Ferrari you can run in all electric mode. And it drives the motors at the front, so actually, technically, you can buy an all-electric front-wheel drive Ferrari these days. The world has gone a little bit mad, hasn't didn't, it? Didn't Ferrari say something along the lines of, we have no interest in making electric cars? Yes. Which is the reason why they insist it has an engine. I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy to have an engine oh, it's, in a car. It's still got six, 700 brake horsepower's worth of engine in the back, but technically, you can press a few buttons and have a front-wheel drive electric Ferrari. It's very the, the world has gone mad. I'm, I'm not necessarily against electric cars per se. Then there's a whole debate going as to whether you can have electrified classics. And I saw there's a company that did a, um, a 308 GTB electric car. Oh, see, I think that's pretty cool because it smokes its tyres. It it's probably quicker than the original. Let's do oh, yes. Oh, without, without having, it. having driven a 308, part of the thrill of driving it is listening to the sound of the air going into that V8. Yeah. That's sitting behind you and pushing you. At and you can't point. argue that, can you? No. The noise of but actually an engine pushing you, you along at quite a sedate pace. Yeah. Yes. In in modern. Why don't you relocate terms, your knee? Yeah. Yes. I said your massive massive wrist muscles. Because you drive a Ferrari. And that's what's required. To take gear. <laughs> I just Casting no aspersions. So, but then it's 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 like it's the progress. It's it's the march of time, isn't it? But actually. Most modern all-electric cars are borderline hilariously quick, but almost the fact that they do it silently with just an endless wave of talk, it, it almost adds to the fun of it. But there is something about the noise of it. But as our generation grow older and disappear and die, the the younger generation at the moment, I mean, you know, my child, your child, etc., they'll, they'll have no reference to a car mm. needing to make a noise. They won't miss the noise of a V8, etc. They'll be killed because they'll step out in front of them. Uh, yes, because they're quite quiet. Cause I must admit, I, I do like my car for creeping up on people in car parks. And uh, the very they last have, minute They have just, brought out legislation to say that cars produced after today have to have an audible warning on yeah, electric As you drive along. Yeah. <laughs> up, to, up, up to 19 miles an hour. Because if you get hit below 19 miles an hour, the chances are you're going to survive. So as long as but if you get hit above miles 19 miles an hour, you won't hear it coming anyway. Then it's okay. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Just to finish this bit on Ford then, um, I today drove the new Focus ST. So there have been a few people that have been allowed to drive this. I drove a bright orange one, which I think is the right colour for it, called Orange Fury. It's subtle, isn't it? It's a subtle. lovely colour. I do like that. Retina searing orange. And actually, really quite cool. It's um, filled to the brim with tech bits and pieces that... There's a button on the steering wheel that allows you to put it into sport mode straight away. That's good. Because um, that's what everyone does, isn't it? You get into it, put it straight in sports mode. But yes. why isn't it in that mode to start off with? Know, and sport. you then press yeah. a button that says, I'm scared. Mm. And that's what the button should say. Very clever. Just to discourage people from pressing it. Yeah, I think it should. Yeah. It's a very clever car that, that actually I quite liked. Um, handles incredibly level because it, it has 
uh, these trick dampers that um, basically stiffen themselves up. So if you go hard into a corner, it will stiffen up the, the correct side of the suspension to make sure that you are as flat as you possibly be. Just, just to, to point out to the listeners here, all of the uh, the dampers and the levelling and pushing a car hard into corners was not carried out in our model that's brand new and fresh off the boat. It was actually at a full demonstration day, so it was their car that we were abusing. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, and at, at said demonstration day, we got to have a go with everything, to be honest, and um, that, that included the Fiesta ST, it uh, bounced off the rev limiter and on three wheels and everything, it was a great car. They, they have got some, some cracking product at the moment, I mean, ignore the, the politics and engine plant closures and where it's made and how it's made and the politics of it all. Actually, what should Ford, Vauxhall, Peugeot, Citroen, Tesla, BMW, all of them, what really should they worry about? And it's, it's actually making good cars, because at the end of the day, for the product's crap, then after yeah. a while it will stop selling won't it and Ford do make some phenomenal cars and they make some less phenomenal ones as well and I don't think any of us would be sad to say goodbye to the edge cheerio Ford to Citroen then and you're going somewhere to look at some French things for their centenary yes I'm going to a place called Fert Vedam in the Loire Valley like a cheese. for five days camping they've got uh, four and a half thousand cars booked and they expect to get a quarter of a million people through the gates over the period so all the are, people are that own Citroen all to are going to go in a Citroen no how, how many people that's why it's five off. days <laughs> time to fix it in the middle <laughs> no it, it's a test facility which Citroen used to use to develop their cars a bit like Millbrook mm. um, but they don't no longer use it but there is a 19-kilometre drive which all the people that are booked there can drive around it, various parts of... It's the Citroen version of the London to Brighton run. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only from just over there to just past this bit down here. Don't go too far. It'll be all right. J- joking aside, though, Citroen, some brilliant cars. Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but... Well, SM with a Maserati engine. Citroen SNM. SM. SM. The original DS is a beautiful car, and I would honestly be quite happy to own one of those. I think that is a stunning looking, tasty, stylish piece of design. When, when they did the press launch for the Citroen DS, that is a nice car. They did actually drive the journalists down a closed piece of the motorway near Paris. And they weren't very impressed. So on the way back, the drivers went up the centre reservation and it was just as smooth. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> that is a good looking car, actually. We, we've, we've just Googled the Citroen SM. One thing you don't want to pay for is to have your front brake pads replaced on a Citroen SM. The book, I don't want to pay for that for certain. <laughs> the, book, the book time back in the 1970s when they were out was 97 hours. You no. have to disassemble what? the entire front of the car to get hours? to the calipers. Let's work this out, right. So you've got a calculator. The average dealer price now for hourly rate is somewhere between 125 and 140. So let's go for 97 <laughs> times 125, just see what that is. Wow, 12,125 pounds. Plus, plus, the, cost, plus, plus the cost of the, of the parts. Plus that. Yeah, plus Oh that. my God. Be cheaper to set a fire to it, wouldn't 
You just buy another one, wouldn't you? It's you probably would. more than what the car cost in the first place. Yeah, just, oh, sorry, your brake pads. No problem, I'll just take the next one, thanks. <laughs> yeah, they have a different colour this time. There's still quite a few of them on the road, actually. They just go round and round and round because they can't stop because it'll cost them to. So if you if you had to do an emergency stop, you'd have to get in front of them, get out, and give them a bill for about three grand, wouldn't you? Blimey. Saxo, little fast Saxo. Which one was it? The VTS or the VTR? I can never remember which one was the right one. One was a sixteen valve. One was an eight valve. One was fizzy and fun. The other one was a bit lamp. Lamp. A bit lamp. One, one was fizzy. Yeah. One of them was fizzy and fun, and the other one was just a bit limp. Uh, I think the uh, the VTR no, is the the VTR was the 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 racier one. I think. I'm pleased that none yeah. of us know the answer to this question. No, they're becoming quite collectible now. People give money for those for some reason. Uh, well, I think it's because there aren't any of them left. That's the issue. It's because they all fell into the hands of I like the boy racers. Oh, weren't they the same as the 106 underneath? <clears throat> uh, yes, it was. Yeah. Because they had the 106 Rally, didn't they, as well? Which rally. Was rally. Which is quite a good little car. They had the BX16 valve, which a lot of the engines were cannibalised to put in Peugeot 205s. Because that was the same engine used in the 405 MI16. So the, the VTS was the 16 valve 120 PS 118 BHP engine. So the, the VTS was the one you wanted, I think. But yeah, there's couple of hundred of them, couple of hundred of them left, mm. in the, and that's it. But that wasn't a good car. So next. Well, uh, you, you couldn't go anywhere when I was a kid for and for not seeing those you know, upside down in a hedge somewhere. You, you'd just see them in Tesco's on on Tesco's. You'd just see them inside McDonald's or not inside. You just <laughs> occasionally you'd see them inside McDonald's. You'd just see them at the car park of McDonald's on two trays sliding around in circles until they went. I think bang. I did actually. I have actually seen. I think it was a Citroen, might have been a Peugeot 106, but I've seen one of those two cars inside an estate agent's before. So, yeah, we'll, we'll lump them into that category. I think so. Right next to the police station, which was a, a bit silly of a chat. Everyone that drives one of those is called Gary, or Daz, and definitely has Adidas poppers and a hat on backwards. So, we've got one cool Citroen car so far. Any more? Any, said more, the, any more candidates? You said the BX, didn't you? BX. That's the square well. one with the... See, yes. we saw gas suspension on the road. We the other did, day, didn't we? It looked yeah. really odd. Yeah, but he was he was getting on with it. The guy wasn't he? he wasn't it was, driving it, it it was designed like it was by Marcello Gandini, the designer of the Lamborghini Countach, believe it or not, and the Lancia Stratos. See the Stratos now. That's a good car. Yes, and there's a newer version of that, isn't there? Because we saw that when we went to um, Geneva. We did. That's good looking. Car. Is the BX a cool car? That had a, a space in your door bin to fit your helmet. The BX came out at exactly the same time as the Ford Sierra, when everything became jelly mould and mm. angular lines were no longer the in thing to have. So it basically died before it even got a I was chance. I say, to... there's a lot of, it does have a lot of angles, doesn't it? Well, yes. these are the ones that you the, see... the 16 valve, the GTI 16 valve, that actually looks quite retro cool in a way. 16 valves have been known to beat quite a few cars around the Nordschleife. Hmm. It looks like they should have a hover Is that because they don't want to wear out the brakes because they know how much they cost? No, uh, that, that's not, they're not <laughs> expensive on a BX. It looks like they should have a hover conversion and be in Back to the Future because it's missing the rear wheel and bits and pieces. And I'm sure these are the ones when the suspension went wrong they used to just rise up really high like a dragster. Was it rise up or drop down? I don't know, no, it was, it used a, it to was go the up Metro sure. that used to drop down, didn't it, in the yeah. BX that rose up. They are quite quick. That's quite cool. Or there's a Citroen 
uh, Xantia Activa. No. I so thought you were going to say Zara there. No, 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 no. 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 Xantia Activa. Okay, we've listened to you about the... No. suspension. No, what is wrong with you? Sorry, that was a bit loud. No, what the hell? What's wrong? Right, okay, no. we draw the line here. That's no put Citroen to bed. No. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> I will. <laughs> In October, we've got a group of more than 20-year-old Citroens um, driving from just north of Calais. Hoping to drive from just north of Calais. I was, was going to say, when you say a group, how, uh, how big is this group? 12 to start with. <laughs> the, the last remaining 20-year-old Citroens in the world. Uh, all 12 we've done it once before, 10 years ago. How, we did how many Cal were on that We did trip? Calais to Calais with five cars and all five cars made it. 3,000 miles in 10 days. Calais to Calais, just stay in Calais. No. <laughs> Clockwise, Clockwise around France. You sound like Columbus. Oh. We set off from Plymouth and landed in Plymouth, actually. How lucky was that? And you're doing this for a good reason, then. So you're doing it for... To raise money for cancer research, because um, originally we did the first challenge in 2009, which raised money for cancer research, because... Uh, prominent member of the Citroen BX fraternity who lived in Australia passed away with brain cancer and because of where he lived he didn't have dealer backup so he taught basically taught people how to repair their Citroen BXs with stuff you could get your hands on. <laughs> this time we're doing it because another member of the Citroen car club passed away with the same brain cancer last year. So we're doing it in his memory to try and raise more money. We raised 10,500 off the first one 10 years ago with wow. five cars. So if you'd like to go to the website at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Citroen Challenge, you'll find the page there. Or you can, and it's quite complicated to spell, go to Just Giving and type in the exon, which is spelled L and then an apostrophe X-A-G-O-N-E. And it's just the only thing that comes up, to be honest with you. I think it's worth just sponsoring you for having to spend that much time inside a Citroen. I think so. <laughs> and it's all, a noble sacrifice. All jokes aside, it's for an incredibly worthy cause. So uh, if you're into Citroens or if you're really not and you just want to uh, inflict suffering on people having to do it, either way, go and sponsor <laughs> them. It's a worthy cause. It's a bunch of petrol heads like us, like all of us, listening to this now and talking on this now. Uh, and unfortunately, we all know cancer is a horrible, horrible thing that affects everybody. In some way, shape or form, if it hasn't affected you, it affects someone you know. So absolutely something worth supporting. So go and do that now. New Top Gear? Brilliant. Yes. Okay. Absolutely love it. Well, we went, didn't we? We were lucky we enough to get tickets. We did. We, um, so this is, this is Jim and I. We, we actually went to see the... First episode being filmed, well, first episode and bits of one of the other episodes being filmed. Uh, yeah, the uh, the guests that we saw, and I think we, we can't we, talk we, about. We're all si all sworn to secrecy, and we at can't. the end they just went, "Don't talk about it." All right, good, fine. And so hardly a non disclosure agreement, but yeah, we we saw the guests, but we haven't seen them appear in the series yet. But, but we uh, we saw the studio bits for the first episode, but it's hilarious. Those agreed. three don't half get on well together, don't they? I think yeah. the the mixture between. Paddy McGuinness and Freddie Flintoff and Chris Harris, Chris Harris yeah. is just phenomenal. It's it's like they've been mates for a lot longer than yeah. they have, and I think yeah. that even the, the outtakes or the the bits in between scenes that we saw, they were just getting on like three lads who were best mates and had known each other for years. Just the 
the pranks are you know clipping each other in the testicles or whatever it happened to be just before it went live or just on each other or on over. last night's episode where Chris Harris had a watermelon smashed on top of his head by, by Freddie Flintoff yes. or the, the, the milk challenge from being electrocuted there you are drink this <laughs> glass of milk that, that is prime just stag do fodder really isn't it but it just pant wettingly hilarious how, how they get on it's, it's superb this has um, been the best lineup since the original three and I'm, I'm to be honest I'm bored I think so, yeah. I'm bored of people going like oh, it's not the same as the original three fine yes we know that they're not the same people go and watch the grand tour that's great you know, in it's own right we enjoy watching that too but actually I'm pleased that they've continued on with Top Gear and I'm pleased they whittled it down to Chris and then expanded the team again and the three of them really do have a good dynamic and See I'm I did pleased. like Joey but he maybe I don't think he had quite the right banter with Rory to make it work. Joey and Chris Harris got on very well. Yes. And towards the end of the series, that was kind of coming out and that was being allowed to be shown. I think the the Joey, Rory and Chris series were, were a bit, a bit forced, too maybe. scripted, a bit too mm. forced. It was almost like they'd been given lines, whereas the current lineup is, there you are, but get on with it and have fun, and the more you can screw each other over, the better. Graham and Phil then have been uh, at the SMMT test day and got to drive the Stelvio Quattro Fellatio amongst other things, didn't you? <laughs> yes, we did. Um, I was very impressed. 520 horsepower, V6 twin turbo, 0-63.8 seconds. Top speed in excess of 170 Adequate. miles an hour, approximately. Um, not bad for an SUV. It was very impressive. <laughs> I think we did decide on a road trip the other day if you had to have an SUV, it would probably be one of those yes. or a Uranus one of the two I mean a Urus I, I think well I mean if you could have the, the Quattro Fellatio that would be that would be great four times great in fact probably but even the standard one does look really nice the one we saw was in a metallic blue colour which didn't really suit it actually no it was a bit too bright wasn't mm. it I, I, I don't know if we discussed this before I'm a, a big fan I'm sure we've discussed it before a big fan of the Julia actually the way that looks that's a good, that is a very good looking car I think that would be a good shout as a, as a company car because you don't have to worry about it. You can hand it back at the end. Yeah, yeah or, or on a lease deal. As long as it's got a warranty with it, you're okay. Mm, like that. So what else was there? We tried a DS3 Crossback. And what was, else was there? <laughs> <laughs> which was quite impressive, actually. From the outside, it's quite a small car, but inside, oh. Andrew drove it. From the inside, it's quite large because they moved the what would be the dash air vents onto the door. And it makes it feel quite big. To be honest, if I had a Citroen, what do you say? It was a cross thrush? Cross back. Cross, cross back. back. Honestly, anything that would make it feel bigger, I would be happy with. Um, but Does that mean you're further away from the car whilst you're actually driving it? I think it just keeps moving away from you. You've got mm. one of those dreams where you try to keep running for something and it keeps moving up <laughs> the distance. Just being chased by a DS bareback. No, cross back. <laughs> Whatever it is, one of those things. Just don't, just know. Vive la France. And there was a Mazda as well, I understand. Is that right? Yep. Uh, Andrew went out in the Maserati Levante. Gran, Gran Turismo MC. Oh, yeah. Yes. And uh, had the living daylight scared out of him by a professional driver. Quite right, too. On I... the speed bowl. <laughs> That's what you want, really. And you can see a video of this, actually, if you go to ukmotortalk.co.uk and click on our YouTube link and you can see all of our videos that we've uploaded there, including, well, actually, you can't see Andrew being terrified to death by the Maserati driver. You can see the Maserati driver enjoying terrifying Andrew to death. 
Well, actually, um, should, we, should we do something at our upcoming track evening at Brands? We can have Andrew being scared to death by an unprofessional driver. How does that sound? Yes, yeah. Should we do that? Definitely going out with you because you're the more terrifying of the two of us. Excellent. Um, although, that said, this time, how professional is this? We are going to take, well, not what we're going to take, we're going to borrow a box trailer um, so that if we break it, we can scoop it up and push it into the back of its component bits. Just scoop it in many bits. As long as we grab the shiny and expensive bits, most of the rest of it we'll, we'll just leave behind. It's we'll going to be, be right. like the Italian job, isn't it, on the way back out? Just, Pretty just, much. Just, just open up the bucket, <laughs> it goes wrong. Push it off the, edge of a, off the edge of a pass, just go, insurance job. It'll be fine. Have, have we renewed the, the breakdown cover on it? I think we should before we go. Just in Yeah, case. I think so. Yeah, I think that's probably, probably necessary. Um, but looking forward to getting out. Out again, that thing. To yeah, it's been a little while, hasn't it? It has. We did a road rally, which uh, which I've not actually done before, and was popular, wasn't it? And it had mm. uh, the instructions by the looping method, which when they explained to us, this is how it works. It's uh, the instructions. Looping. Tulip. Tulip. Tulip diagram. That thing. Looping is the bad guy out of um, a play. What I saw. Doctor Looping. Somebody's doing well. Anyway, it's a flower, nevertheless. So we had no idea, but we still managed to follow it and we got there, made good time um, without breaking any of the speed limits or rules of the road. Uh, and we managed to get to a pub, which is where we were meant to be, and then to the Richard Lewis Motor Collection, which is just incredible, actually. It's like a little mini, I say mini Bewley, that's, that's a lie. It's probably as big as Bewley and it's a personal collection. Um, you can get in and around and inside and outside all the cars and stuff, and it was exceptional, really top quality. The only car that we couldn't get in was the one that you wanted to get into, which was, predictably, a Formula One car. Uh, yes, well, he did, he did say you can get into it, but he meant you can get into it as in it is physically possible, not that, yes, you can get in it, because I did kind of take that to mean you can get in. I did want to. It was Austin Cooper S was the one I was interested in. Now, all the stuff that was there, really expensive, multi-million pound cars, there's an Austin Cooper S partner for Lotus Cortina, and those two, for me, were perfection. That was a, yeah, that was a good day out, wasn't it? But it, yeah. was, it was actually just... A perfect blueprint that actually if I won 140 million or whatever the Euro millions is, that, I just want that. Well, to put this in perspective, he had several units and they were warehouse sized units, but he had his own team of people that are dedicated to restoring and working on only his cars. So he would buy a car auction, if it's concourse, doesn't matter, strips it down, completely rebuilds it, start to finish. If it needs bits doing, they fabricate the panels, fabricate the metalwork components, everything. Uh, the interior, the trim, you name it, they will make it. Um, he, he lent his friend, he had a, a Lagonda there, didn't he? Um, mm. An incredible Lagonda, which he races in historic uh, championships with his wife. And he says he's faster. And his mate stacked it in one of the corners, put the back end of this thing in. And at mate's rate, so just at cost, £70,000 to repair it. Yeah, didn't charge him for labour, did he? But it was... Are you still mates with him? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's all quite easy That's the deal, you bend it, you mend it. Which is exactly the deal we've got, because we know that if our, if our car um, basically gets destroyed, it costs either one of us 5,000 pence. That's it. It's, it's not, not expensive that, it? at all. Yes. Well, it's, uh, yeah, yeah cheap, cheaper than your Volvo, which I keep threatening to crash into people, because whenever I borrow it, I always just say, if somebody pulls out in front of me, not stopping. Yeah, somebody tries it. to cut me up at a roundabout, not stopping. Keep they're, they're, pinned. Get, they're getting pit manoeuvred off. They're, they're getting Matt Neeled well and truly <laughs> coming <laughs> well off the roundabout. Matt Neeled. That's it. And when you take that corner, is it slightly aggressive and people behind you just have to, you know, continue on because they can't exactly. get around? That's it. That's yeah. well and truly it. Keep yeah. it pinned. 
yes, Lupin is a character from Sweeney Todd. So there we go, Dr. Lupin. Good with this weekend. Yes. Um, independently, I think we will probably go and have a look around and see what's there. And um, yes, I'm I'm going hopefully with Graham at some point over the weekend. I think we're there on the Thursday, aren't we? We are. We should go to the Moving Motor Show and have a look and see what's what's happening there. And uh, you might get to drive something up the hill. We could try, but I suspect probably not. We've tried this before. I've tried driving up the hill. Uh, in fact, if you, a, friend, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine's a plumber, and he does work at Goodwood, um, and has to drive up to the house and such. And a long time before Festival Speed happens, they put the hay bales out on the side. And he does feel very tempted when he has to go up there just to, to pelt up the hill, but they get a bit upset when you do. Well, I, uh, I went there to drop off a, uh, a job application for my wife, and as I pulled in, I thought, oh, I'm on the start line here. You were getting someone to apply to be your wife? No. No, the, my wife was applying for a job at Goodwood. Makes more sense. Yes. <laughs> I had to ask. Shush. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so as I pulled in, I thought, oh, I'm on the start line here. So I stopped, engaged first gear and set off rather briskly. Did the first corner, no drama at all. And then uh, just slightly past the first corner, where you'd be about somewhere near Malcolm, just after the, uh, the straight in front of the house, there was a, a hay bale across the, uh, the track. And the sign on it basically said... Stop mucking about, this means you, park in the car park. I was like, oh, fair enough. So I did and dropped off the application and, um, yeah, she's still my wife but didn't get the job, funnily enough. <laughs> quite, well, a few, quite a few years ago when I had a Nissan Skyline, I did actually drive it, although very sedately, up the entire length of the Goodwood Festival Speed Hill. Smashing. And I must say... Driving past the Flint Wall in what was my own car at 35 miles an hour was plenty fast enough. So, yeah, that, that probably feels... It puts it into perspective when you see how fast they actually go up the hill when they're, they're heading up there in anger. But I think it was, it was a real watershed moment, wasn't it, last year? Because the, the fastest race car up the hill was electric. The second fastest car up the hill was electric. And it, it seemed to take over. And we actually had a self-driving car going up the hill... Um, an electric Mustang, which just uh, th- no, it was an electric self-driving Mustang, wasn't it? So yes. it was, it was everything put together, and at one point it just spontaneously turned right and headed towards the crowd. So at least it, it still had some of the original Mustang DNA of it's hunting down there, and killing it? a crowd. Yeah. But uh, apart from that, the bloodied a, mess that that uh, that ends up after every Mustang-related car. It was a, yeah, it was it was an odd year last year, just seeing electric take over as being the quickest thing around so quite odd it'll be interesting to see what uh, what this year brings and whether anyone will bring anything internal combustion engine that can take the record back again I think they will and I hope they do I, I well Ford are bringing a GT race car something or other which they're going to put up the hill and hopefully they they don't try and protect too much actually just go for it uh, that's I think it's got potential that's that's always the uh, the risk isn't it if you have how fast is too fast up the hill because you have more and more crowds each year at what point do they have to draw a line under it and say actually if we want cars going up that fast we need to move everything back properly we need some tech pro barriers we need some catch fencing we need x y and z whereas there's something quite charming about the fact that if you're stood at the outside of Malcolm you you might get a skyline in the face at one point during Mm. the weekend 
Well, that happened. It happened to me. Well, not to me personally. I get a scar on my face because that that would be maybe uncomfortable. But yes, yeah, it would explain a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it would explain a lot. But yeah, it's one of the Formula One cars kicked out, and um, unfortunately went up up the bank and, and injured somebody. Thankfully, they only sprained an ankle or something, relatively not as serious as any claim might suggest. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, warning: motorsport can be dangerous. You are present at dangerous. your own risk. Yeah, and underneath, in small print, you may get a skyline to the face. The first ever festival of speed. They didn't have hay bales at the side of the track. They had posts with pieces of orange tape. That that, that well-known safety car <laughs> retention yes. device, orange tape. So when was that? Ninety-three. Ninety-three. Uh, they, fr- me and some friends. They were charging £10 a car, so we went in my mate's seven-seat Renault Espace <laughs> and got in for 10 quid. and they that's, were collecting the value. money in plastic bin bags, believe it or not. Okay, so right. I think the, the first year I went was 96, and I've missed one year since then. I think the first year I went was 2015. <laughs> and you've missed how many since then? Uh, none, actually, as it goes. But there we are. We're all we're all hooked. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I would have been able to convince my parents to get them anywhere near there. I should beg them to take me to John Cooper garages when I was a kid. <laughs> it's only down the road. Now it's hot enough outside to walk around and be concerned that you might smell like public transport. Um, so if you smell like a number twenty nine bus. Uh, you're going to be wanting to think of ways to keep yourself cool and keep your car cool. Um, I just go outside and chuck buckets of cold water over my car to keep it constantly cool. Um, and occasionally a flannel. Uh, and that keeps the car pretty pretty cool, to be honest with you. I've never had any complaints. Um, but I do have a problem with the Mini, it has to be said. Now, the roof opens the Mini, windows open the Mini, which is fantastic. I've got 3 by 70 air conditioning. You put all three windows and openings open, and you drive at 70 miles an hour. <laughs> and apart from being a bit drafty, it's pretty cool in there. But the air conditioning, uh, when I was on the way to a funeral, um, started making a very odd noise, and now that stopped working. Which meant ah. the other day, when the temperature gauge told me it was 28 degrees Celsius, um, well, there was a possibility I was going to smell a bit like a peasant. That, uh, that sounds expensive to fix that as well. To be well, the good news is it's completely inaccessible, so no Excellent. idea. Mm. But air conditioning, and you've got a fancy pants app on your BN, haven't you? Yeah, so I can press a button and it just turns the air conditioning on, cools the car down. So when we get to, uh, well, used it very well at uh, Goodwood last year, just as we were setting off on the walk back to the car, press the buttons when I got in the car. Was like well, I'm nice jealous of this now. Let's it talk about something else. Fine, let's fantastic. talk about something else. What very, do you think, very Phil? useful. Very good. Well, I've just had the aircon regassed in my 20 year old Oh, great, so it's Perger. just me then, is it? <laughs> great, just me. Just me that's having a problem. Well, the good news is I've got a car with the air conditioning that works absolutely fine, and my wife now drives that, and that's it. Uh, yes, but she also drives your child around, so it's more important to keep them cool. She doesn't drive the child around, the child goes in the back. Ah, does it have rear seat air conditioning? It does have rear seat air conditioning. There and we go. That brings us on to another subject because actually you were saying to me earlier on uh, things that you didn't know that you needed until you had kids. Exactly. It gives Hong you a, a whole new perspective. <laughs> oh yeah, a bit, bit late for that. But uh, no, rear seat air conditioning being one of those things. I'd never thought about specking it on a car before, but the current car had it as standard. And I thought, oh, well, that's fine. Probably never use it. But actually, certainly in this warmer really? weather... To keep the kid in the cool back is uh, is wonderful. Cool bag. Keep the kid in the cool back. Cool, cool back. Let's keep the kid in the cool bag. But uh, certainly in this weather, to uh, to keep the kid 
in the back of the car cool. It's, it's a wonderful bank. thing to have. Shut up. <laughs> so what else can we get on cars that's useful these days then? The, uh, the kicky, tailgatey thing, yes. I think, maybe a bit never of a works. gimmick, but actually quite handy, but never nice works. when it works, but yeah, never works. Um, those, the little locks, instead of having the things you have to twist around in the actual door to stop the kids from having the back doors, a little button that allows you to turn the back door locks off and the back windows off to stop them from playing with yeah, also handy if you've got your mates in the back of the car and they're winding you up as well, so you can get out and leave them in the car. Yes, that's an idea. Anything else that... that I, I, I did see on... This was on... You'll like this because it's French. Uh, Phil, <laughs> I saw this on a French car. You had a little flippy-down mirror that goes in front of the, uh, the actual mirror, so you can't see what's behind you, but you can see the kids in the back, <laughs> which is pretty good. So you can look at the, see the look of their faces when, you know, people go into the back of you. I, the, uh, I think the Ford C-Max has that, doesn't it? Does it? I think so. I don't know. But I it doesn't know. matter because they've stopped building it, so you can't buy it. And it's not too exciting, it is it? It's a good family car. Yeah, I suppose. And let this be a top tip. If you have a family, a good family car is probably sensible. Um, however, life is too short to drive boring cars, so my advice to you is don't. Um, <laughs> uh, I did have a health visitor come round, and she looked at the Mini because she had one of the new ones, or the, uh, you know, one of the new new ones that's a bit too long in the bonnet and a bit too long in the side and everything else. It's not a mini anymore. <laughs> it's, it's a bit big. And she looked at mine and she said, oh, yeah, I really like these ones. They're, they're really good. And, and without thinking, I said, yes, yeah, so, but the problem is the rear leg room because actually you've got to choose whether you like your car and you want to cut the legs off your kid or whether you like the kid enough that you have to get another car. <laughs> and, <laughs> I just it, how did you react to that? She sort of went, hmm. Was it... Was it <laughs> Oh, so a slightly different reaction when I said that driving along the motorway we saw a brand new Mini 5 drawn. I said, well, that, that kind of looks almost exactly like it yours. It does not. It? it does not look <laughs> like mine. To which I said, if you, if you insist on saying this, I, every, every time I see a 316 E36 BMW with hubcaps, I will say that looks like yours. I think I also said I'd quite happily just drop you off at the side of the motorway and let you walk home as well, didn't I? You did. Because yes. you were driving. I was. And I fell asleep instantly. <laughs> you did, actually, yeah. That's, yeah th- things you didn't know that you needed until you had kids, sleep being one of those. Well, you set off on the journey and you looked a bit tired, so I said, well, just no, have a kip if you want. Said, well, are you sure? Well, I feel bad. You know, road trip passenger, job to keep the driver occupied, etc. No, I'll sleep. No, I've got me podcast. I'll have, I'll have a listen, listening to the latest UK Motor Talk podcast, of course. Of course. And uh, no, I, I just said to you, no, well, honestly, have, have a kip if you want. I think it was about 11 seconds later I looked over and your head was slumped forward nearly touching the dashboard and you were snoring away. So, mm. yeah, sleep is certainly something you need and something you're short on when you have kids. Yes, and I strongly suggest you don't do that whilst driving. Um, passengers safely. I, I don't have to worry so much these days about keeping the engine cool in the cars. We say about keeping the car cool and we're talking about ourselves and the passenger bit and everything else because nowadays, of course, you can... Press the button on your keys, windows go down, lets the heat out, you get in, put the aircon on maximum, and away you go, happy days. But, going back a few years, I would be genuinely worried this time of year if I was stuck in traffic. Because I'd be worried about the temperature gauge, and I'd be watching it get too hot. And then, you, if you, I don't know if you remember this, but if you were out with your mates in the car, you'd have to keep asking, why is the, my feet so hot constantly? That's because you used to put the heating on, onto the floor. To cool the car. Cool yeah, the to car cool down. the car, yes. But that doesn't I've happen anymore, quite often. You, you had to listen out, oh, I can hear the first stage fan kicking in. Is the second stage fan going to kick in? Then you'd hear it kick so in. Okay, well, I've got some Ken Lowe's. <laughs> fit the little switch. Yeah, I had an RS2000 that had that. Someone had wired them <clears> an extra switch in so you could override and have the engine fan going constantly. Yeah. They thought that was part of the original fitment we buy any car. <laughs> Who knew? Like, of course, with um, hybrids and 
battery electric vehicles or fully electric vehicles, whatever you want to call them, of course, the warmer the battery is, the better it actually copes. You get better range in, in the middle of summer than sure you do in the middle of winter. Because yes. When you see a phone or something, or a Samsung Galaxy... Or um, a Samsung Galaxy that's just spontaneously on fire. That shows exactly. the battery's working really, really yes. well. Well, that's really hot at that point. Is that good for the battery? Uh, no, not at all. But yeah. you get loads of energy out of it when it's on fire. Yes. Uh, no, because I notice on mine in the middle of, in the middle of winter... I'll do three quarters, maybe a half of my daily journey on pure electric power. In the middle of summer, I do the entire journey to and from work on battery power without needing to charge. The, the range does go up quite a bit in the middle of summer. This is all the way up to, like I say, ambient temperatures of 27, maybe 28 at a push. What it gets like when it goes beyond that, 30 degrees, when it's 40, 50 degrees, etc. Who knows? Well, it's 150 tend not to get degrees, like your Samsung. Part of it, could be, it could, be. could be the fact that you're not using your lights, your heated window, you're not putting the heating on during the summer, and all the other stuff that has to run from the battery. Yeah, see, the, the air, I think the, uh, the aircon uses less electricity than the heated seats or the heated steering wheel does. Like you say, the heater, although, again, with the, uh, the button to cool the car down, in the middle of summer, it equally works to warm the car up in the middle of winter. So, as you're having your tea and toast in the morning, press. But does that take a lot off your range? Uh, no, because the car's plugged in. Ah. So, it's using mains power to defrost and warm the car. It's using up, a coal-fired power down. station to well, exactly, heat but, up the car. But the, the energy's <laughs> got to come from somewhere. And they always say, you know, you, are you better off having in a heavily populated area that's full of cars are you better off having the pollution coming out of the tailpipes of cars in the heavily populated area or are you better off having the pollution coming out of a power station in the middle of nowhere without children and animals and dolphins and butterflies and polar bears sat next to it so it, we we have to produce a certain amount of energy or well obviously you can't produce it you can only convert it but we have to come up with a certain amount of energy Yes, although we need to go towards solar panels and wind and this and that and the other, but if we have to use fossil fuels to get around, we're better off with that in a power station hundreds of miles away. But it's not. It's in Shoreham by Sea. Yeah, it's, it's a far away no, from it's me. Not it's not in Shoreham by Sea, it's in Ports Laid. Well, that's fine. Uh, have you seen what happened to Dungeness? To where? Dungeness. They had, a, they had a full-size train there, and that shrunk to about three-quarters its size, and then everything else a desolate wasteland full of caravans. What, because of pollution, the train trunk? No, because of electric cars. Oh, I see. That's what happens. Yeah. You see? There you go. <laughs> um, or indeed, you could just have uh, some normal fuel. You put it in the back. You get the dawn chorus out of two or four tailpipes. It makes a lot of noise. Um, the big bit of meat in the middle starts smiling, and away you go. <laughs> On to the next things, then. So. Think of the dolphins and the polar bears. No. Yeah, well, maybe. Because I saw a picture the other day of a polar bear looking sad. How does a polar bear look you know, sad? We did a whole thing on global warming. We went to a presentation the other day on global warming and how about you know, motor manufacture and the way people move about and mobility and electric cars. The only thing I can genuinely remember from this... Yes, the only thing I genuinely remember from this is that the person... When you say talk, we, was that you and me? Yes. Oh. Yes. <clears throat> you were paying attention. The only thing I can genuinely remember is that polar bear, polar bear hair is supposedly clear. It is. It just takes on the colour of what's around it. That's maybe why you don't see any polar bears around here. They could be blending in. They're all in stealth grey. <laughs> sort of like those BMW, Matt BMWs you see driving around in Mercedes and things. Hmm. There you go. And with the other poor, poor they could do the urban myth of covering their nose. You yeah. don't see them. <laughs> Maybe that's... Tangent. That is a slight tangent. 
but it does bring us on to holiday motoring. <laughs> <laughs> Having said all that, cars produce a certain amount of pollution, but nothing compared to the amount of air pollution that... That sounds oh, fantastic. Oh, I want that, one of those. That produces. <laughs> yes. Or B, of course, cruise ships and, and aeroplanes. So when you jet off on your holidays, the amount of CO2 that the plane pumps out is ridiculous. Or if you go on a Mediterranean or around the world cruise, the amount of CO2 that you produce doing that is ridiculously high compared to motoring. So maybe cars aren't all bad. Maybe it's um, going off on holiday that's killing the planet. When you go away on holiday, I think one of the... One of the things that becomes, suddenly becomes exciting is getting a hire car. Now, these are cars that you generally wouldn't look at twice at home, but you know are going to be great fun to drive on the wrong side of the road. They're normally French. They are normally French. Although I had a Fiat, what was it? Panda. Panda. The last time I went, which was gutless. It wasn't as bad as the 500 <clears throat> Twin Air. And frankly, I've got more power in a fart than that thing is Twin Air. Ridiculous. Um... But it was brilliant. You had to put it into second gear to go up the hills and just absolutely thrash it to bits. But that's what hire cars are best for, I think. Exactly. Those little small cars. Well, years ago, not on a holiday theme, but when I used to work in the simulator industry, always used to get a hire car. And if it didn't do at least 15 kilometres an hour faster when I gave it back than when I got it, I hadn't mm. ragged it enough. You hadn't, you hadn't <laughs> run it in properly. Years and years ago, I used to have to provide cars to a... Um, a relatively local tuning firm, which I'm sure I probably can't say who it is. I say tuning firm, they were engineers and developers. And you take two cars that are identical, and you'd have one come out this just as it was, and the other one would come out significantly faster. Um, and they obviously only use them to go to meetings and things, so it's amazing. They must have just used one more than the other. Must have been, must have been. I'll never forget hanging around in... Um the paddock at Brands Hatch and the uh, the driver that we were looking after and running for the year, who's now a touring car driver, coincidentally, his uh, his attempts to get his uh, Citroen hire car to take off over the big bump that's on the uh, the main road into Brands Hatch once you get into the circuit around the back of the grandstands, there's that big bump. So we, we decided it was the mission for the evening to try and get it to take off and see how many sparks we could get out from the underneath. Turns out quite a lot. We would never, ever recommend you abusing your hire car, of course. These are just you know, natural and perfectly spontaneous things that happen when you're driving along and realise that, unfortunately, they've provided you with a car that's frankly inadequate, so it's their fault, <laughs> um, to be completely honest. Or you just hire something better, but there's no real fun in that. What there is fun in, though, we were travelling back the other day from the thing we had, the polar bears and all that stuff, and we pulled into... A service station, which I say is Cobham, and you say is Chobham. 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 No, it's, it's actually two. Cobham, but you can't say Chobham. Anyway, this is in my book the best service station there is in the country. Partly because I'm not very well travelled, but partly because it is brilliant. Uh, well, the the road in and the road out <clears throat> is brilliant because it's just a really, really long, Curve. quick <laughs> corner heading in where you can build up a hell of a lot of speed through. And it has a tunnel either at the end or the beginning, depending on which way you're coming And lots of lorries that suddenly just pull out in front of you on said curve, which is... Jeopardy. Mm. But they get a five-second penalty, so it's all right for, they running, should. for running you out of road. Absolutely, yeah. Well, you know what happens when you go on the wrong side of it. Um, yeah, and they've got all kinds of things going on there. They've got Pizza Express, other pizza places available. There's McDonald's and there's other McDonald's available, probably. Who knows? Who cares, even? Because, you know... <laughs> You can eat what you like, you're a grown-up, or maybe you're not, maybe you're a child. Either way, you can't eat what you like, you need to ask your parents if you can eat what you like. <laughs> we were in the services, 
This is all by the by. I'm a fan of that services and I endorse it, even though I should probably not technically do that. Let's not give me a deal. We were in the services and we got out of the car and we saw one of the new Supras. Um, and I'd not seen one of those in the metal before. We'd seen the one at Geneva. We'd seen it with all the camo and bits and pieces on. But this one actually it looks a lot better in the metal than it does in pictures. I wasn't sure on the front end in pictures. But it's a really nice car, isn't it? No, and the, the proportions look a lot better in yeah. real life than they do in pictures. It looks a bit long and thin and not quite right in the pictures, but actually sat there in the metal. We are talking it, about the Supra here. We are. It looks, uh, no, it looks very nice indeed and, and quite a nice interior as well. The front end <coughs> does look good, but not as good as the back, partly because it's spoiled by a number plate. But you had a very good point about the interior though, because that, I think, is lovely. You like it because obviously it's BMW and you like BMWs. Yes, but then people have criticised it for having a BMW interior, but I, yeah. I don't understand that. It's like when the uh, the Mondeo came out and people criticised it for looking too much like an Aston Martin. How, how can you criticise something for looking like something that's beautiful or practical, something that works well? Hmm. I I'm, didn't understand I'm that. I'm terribly sorry, your wife looks too much like Kelly Brook. Yes. That's a shame, isn't it? Anyway, the guy at the surface was a nice chap from Toyota who actually allowed us to sit in the car, have a look at a play, and had just taken it to a track day, which sadly we weren't invited to. But he did give it a bit of a rev and uh, allowed us to have a listen and said, next time, sure, come along and drive it, which is great, so we'll do that perhaps. Anyway, more about the services. So you go into the, the services and obviously we enjoyed a, a zesty beverage and some, some fast food. And from one of the many establishments there was McDonald's, but we'll gloss over that. And you get to go in and they have these things called like... Uh, top presents or top gadgets or something like this and they have remote controlled cars you can control off your phone and various different attachments you can connect your iPad to your screen so your kids can't see where you're going or vice versa you can't see where your kids are going or something like that but there's lots of these kind of things here Phil do you have any good or pointless gadgets for your car I have a tow rope in the boot and jump leads always useful if you own something French or <laughs> Possibly you're into some sort of kinky torture or something. Owning something French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's owning something French and doing a very long drive in it. Yes. <laughs> Not well, in my car, though. <laughs> I would say that French cars are quite comfy. Mm, initially, maybe, but they give you a bad back after a while. And you have to, yeah. Part yeah. of the reason is the French roads are crap. <laughs> yes. Mm, so I have the cars to go with it. Way <laughs> easy one. No, right. Not not very well lit either. So I've found as well. In the middle of the night, you're you're pretty much on your own with your yellow headlights and. That's Maybe it. that's why they feel the need to have so many in car gadgets. So you can strap some mag lights to your dash. Are they still on? Do people still have those? What mag lights? Yeah. Well, I think they've all been overtaken by cheap Chinese LED things these days, haven't they? I don't really think I have any gadgets in my cars. Partly because I don't really have the need for them. I think most of the cars have pretty much everything. Actually, tell a lie, I do have one useful gadget, and that is in the Onion, I have got a tape cassette Bluetooth adapter. <laughs> so, you know, you have the old fashioned ones with a stringy bit that always gets tangled up, mm. so that you can, rather than listening to Shaggy on cassette, you can listen to Shaggy as an MP3, or in the old days, so you have a CD player mounted to the top of your dashboard. I remember that on the little anti vibration yes, thing, never so it didn't skip. Never worked. So, you can link onto your phone and you can listen to all your music, but it's got Siri as well. So you press, there's a little microphone that hangs out the front of the door, or you can tuck it inside the tape set for the proper retro look. And you press the button and it goes, and then just complete disobedience as normal. 
through the cassette. That's quite impressive. Yeah. That's good. It does. There's only one slight drawback to this. The battery lasts for four hours. That's not very good. It's not that great, is it? So you then have to plug it in and charge it in the car. For eight hours. Ah, that's irritating. Yes, because you can't charge it whilst it's being used. That's very irritating. Because the USB port's on the other end. Yeah, so modern cars you can add pretty much any gadget you can think of, wireless charging and CarPlay and Syrian connectivity and all that. So actually, the if it's a cassette adapter, mm. can't you put it in the other way around so the USB no. port is on the outside? No, it doesn't like it. It just it tries to flip itself over and just keeps getting stuck. Yeah, really upsetting. Mm. Yeah, I think the only, only gadget I've got in my cars, which I think is relatively useful, dash cam. Very useful. Oh, yeah. actually, no, a cassette player makes a very handy iPhone holder. If you've got it's an old al- iPhone. almost the perfect size for it. The modern ones don't fit, do they? Uh, no, no, probably too much girth. I would have I've thought. got a Nokia 100 in my, uh, in my tape deck. Not my tape deck, in my car, in the door bin. Um, and that, I mean, that is a, a mighty phone. It's, it's huge. You cause someone concussion. And in terms of, of girth, that is substantial. It has to be said. Above average. Above, above average. It's, it's long, it's quite heavy, it would inflict some serious damage. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, dash cams. I think important, I'm amazed more people don't fit dash cams into cars as an option from the factory. Because it can, you, you could do a really neat job of having it in where all the various different sensors go. I mean, admittedly now, there's more sensors in the windscreen. It feels like you're sat on either side of a cockpit. But I think actually the French do do this and I think it's Citroen that does because there was a stupid advert I think recently as well. where you could press a button on the which is now owned by Citroen yeah <laughs> true you, there was a, a Vauxhall now French oh so you think it can get any worse um, you press a button it's not and a selling could, point is it <laughs> you could take a snapshot of the place that you've been and it saves that picture into your sat nav so you oh I remember that I'll go there yeah, the problem is nice. when do you actually park except when you're going home exactly where you want to be when you're out and about somewhere because you know where you work and you know you know where you live yes most of the time i'm a bit hopeless that kind of stuff but if i've gone to i don't know hampstead heath i was, I was just about to say dogging sides why are you why, yes. why are you looking at me like that because we well we both know where we're going with this don't we do we yes <laughs> you might know where you're going with this one probably not the same place um but yeah you don't get to exactly where you want to go so maybe slightly pointless Kind of like the idea. What I did quite like, though, was I had to go in a Mercedes something or other. It was an A, one of the new A-classes. The front-wheel drive ones are a Renault again underneath. Don't be fooled. Top tip there. The diesel ones, just buy a, a decent one or a bigger one. Or if you've got one and this is news to you, I'm really sorry. But it had a big, big dash that was all LED, LCD, whatever you want to call it. Big wide jobby. And it had an augmented reality sat-nav. So mine's got Google Earth. But this had a camera at the front of the car, and it was a bit like when you're playing video games from the 90s, and it's Midnight Club or something like that, and you have an arrow appears in front of you that shows you which way you have to go around the track, and it does that. So you see the view as you're seeing it out the front of the car, but with an arrow hovering above where you need to turn. And as you get close, it turns right or left, so you actually know you're making the right turning. So if you were on a track day, would it have a little dotted line showing the line you needed to take, and it goes red when you need to brake, and... Green like when you can put the theory. power down. I yeah. like the sound of that. This will be better when it's the entire windscreen that does this, I've decided. Mm. Um, but actually, that's, that's pretty damn cool. I, I like that. I think that is a cool car gadget, even though you can't fit it to your own car. Or can you? Can you do, is there an app for that now? Can you do that on your phone? Probably. You can get 
little boxes of tricks that turn your phone into a heads-up display. So you can retrofit a heads-up display, so no reason I've got a digital speedo on mine. Yeah, yeah, because I think then you put the phone in a box on the windscreen, or mm. and it just shines it up and, and off you go. I've not ever felt the need to disbelieve my own speedo. I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can honestly say that having had not a lot of sleep, I am now quite tired, so finally maybe it's time to go home and think about Goodwood, I guess, really. That's the next big event on our calendar. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to going there with Graham and doing the next podcast. What you're saying is you're looking there. forward to going there without us. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I think that says a lot. Uh, and Jim and I will be going as well, but we, uh, we won't be talking to each other because, you know, it's just... Uh, of course we'll be talking to each other. We'll be going along, have a look and see what's going on down there and, uh, yeah, we'll share our thoughts on what's happening at Goodwood when we, uh, when we come back. So... All that remains to say is thanks for listening to us again, if indeed you are still listening. Um, and so, yeah, we'll speak to you next time. See you on the other side of Goodwood. Cheers. Cheerio. Bye. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.